0: There's a guy here just in
1: the nick of time! What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir! Ain't we just! Michael? I think there's something under my bed. Daddy, I think there's something.
2: Emergency coronavirus bill could force people with virus symptoms to isolate. Cameras have all stopped rolling. We've got a film to finish.
3: Yeah, let's get this movie done.
1: Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Acho, and uh, I'm very excited to be having some of these guests. The next guest, the next few guests that we're going to be having for this episode, as well as for all the other episodes, as part of the Paris International Film Festival, which is running from the tenth of February to the twentieth of February. Hi, I'm producer
0: Dave, and welcome to the show. I'm looking forward to speaking to all these people as
1: well. Yes, and on this particular episode, we're going to have two filmmakers. We've we've bunched them together uh, because they have two separate films, but they sort of they work with each other. So one person uh, directed, wrote, and directed one picture and the other person produced it, and uh, then they swapped around and then did the same thing for each other. So um, we're gonna be talking to the, we'll just call them the Goldfinch pair. So we, we're talking to uh, Ben Charles Edwards, the writer, director, producer of uh, Father of Flies, as well as Kirsty Bell, who's the director and producer of A Bird Flew In. Both work as part of the company Goldfinch. Uh, those of you who are independent filmmakers who have been, not only independent filmmakers, studio filmmakers as well, who have been interested in anything film finance. You will know the term Goldfinch, you know the company Goldfinch. We get to chat with them about their films, as well as dive into what the company Goldfinch would actually be doing for independent filmmakers. Uh, Anyway, enough of my rambling, let's just jump straight into our interview with Ben Charles Edwards and Kirsty Bell. Here we go. Listening to the breeze on Resonance one hundred four point four FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. and I'm producer Dave. And we have with us uh, the director of Father of Flies. He's going to tell us uh, a lot about uh, this film, which is uh, in the Paris International Film Festival. Please tell us your name and start off by telling us what Father of Flies is all about.
3: Well, good to meet you both. Thanks for having me. my name is Ben Charles Edwards. I'm a movie director, writer, and producer. Um, and Father of Flies is a movie I wrote. In fact, I wrote it as a child originally. It was based on my childhood. Of course, it, I didn't have the same demise and the, the absolute horrors that you'll see in the movie. I was going
1: to say I've seen the trailer, and if that's
3: your childhood, then <laughs> wow, you have you have come up nicely. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I took um, I took my dad to the test screening of it. And um, bless him. And then afterwards he came up to me and he said, boy, I think you need therapy. (laughs) But I think that, um, you know, it's like any cathartic process, a creative one. You know, it's a story about divorce and how a family um, cracks start to show in this relationship. And from that, all sorts of horrors are bred.
1: The name of the film, Father of Flies, I almost tripped up on myself calling it Firefly because I love the show Firefly, but that's not what it is. And then there's Lord of the Flies, which also kind of crosses into it. Um, did any of, well, obviously not Firefly, but did Lord of the Flies have any influence on the titling of the film Father of Flies?
3: No, it didn't, but Lord of the Flies, I mean, I remember reading Lord of the Flies, William Golding, as a kid. But, and, and ironically, one of my co-writers that I work with on a regular basis, he's, his father was the writer of High Wind in Jamaica, which was obviously the, I guess, a prelude in a sense. But Father of Flies is, the title in a sense becomes apparent towards the end of the movie um, as to why it's named Father of Flies. It's also something quite ominous and dark about the title, um, Brooding. And I and I love that title. Um, but Father of Flies is also a name given to um, Beelzebub, one of the demons of hell. So it's his nickname, but... I just call him B, but um some people call him Father Flies. <laughs> <laughs> nice that you have that kind of relationship with him. <laughs> but you get on with both sides of the unfortunate. I guess. I guess.
1: Um you're listening to Shift the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. And
0: I'm producer Dave.
1: And we have with us director, producer, writer of Father of Flies, Ben Charles Edwards. He's talking to us about the film. Is it safe to call Father Flies a horror movie?
3: Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. It's, it's, a, it's a horror. I mean, it's not a kind of a, a slasher. There's no cheerleaders getting stabbed in the breasts. It's not that kind of horror. But it's, it's a very psychologically driven horror that explores the damaging effects of when relationships break down. Horror, in a sense, is anything that the human soul finds horrifying, horrific. And some of the best horrors are bred from those ideas of uncertainty, the unknown, and the things that mean the most to us, which is the loss of loved ones, which is a family being ripped apart. All of these things are really good stems to start a horrific story.
1: That's the reason why I wanted to clarify, because obviously it, when you watch the trailer for the film, it is clear that it comes from that sort of psychological uh, horror perspective, although there are elements that could lead you to to see it as a like a ghost film or a ghost movie, or. Uh, you know, demonic possession type movie. Um, there's one bit in the trailer specifically. Uh, and all I'm going to describe it as is just the, the uh, there's something under my bed. And that shot alone, that little bit in the trailer is done so well, definitely scary. For anybody who has kids who gets called into the the kids' room to come and check for monsters under the bed, it's an, it is very impactful. I've really enjoyed that particular part of the trailer. So, as you said, this story was inspired by your childhood, by you growing up, but the style of the movie itself, what were your inspirations in terms of the style of Father of Flies?
3: Um, first of all, Marcus, I love that you love that scene. That was kind of the, one of the best parts of me writing that moment. I thought, wow, that's, that's scary. That's really, really scary. The, the, the inspiration for the, for the style of the film, I was born in the 80s and you know, as I say, this was loosely based on my childhood or my situation to some degree. I do believe I grew up in a haunted house. Um, I don't know if all your listeners believe in that, but I certainly think there was unexplained things that happened in that house. So the film has that element of an 80s aesthetic, slightly. Um, so I think that it was kind of a an amalgamation of that and whatever we had available to us in New York on the time and the budget we had to shoot it. I,
1: and it's clear, again, the, uh, the influences, as you see, and that's why I wanted to sort of try and get that uh, that, that, that understanding as to whether you were influenced by the 80s horror films, which, kind, which same as me. I grew up in the 80s, loved the horror films of the 80s. I, my personal favorite in the 80s that stuck with me, Evil Dead, obviously, any horror film I want to do it's influenced by the evil Dead. you wanted to get a little bit more in terms of that with yourself now with, with the actual uh, cinematic style, what examples of films would you want to give as uh, reference points where you can say, if people say, right, I love this movie, so I will definitely love father of flies. What kind of examples would you want to give?
3: Good question. Um, I think there's one that's quite clear, which is poltergeist, which, uh, you know, this film certainly has some scenes which pay homage to poltergeist. It's one of the best movies ever made, Poltergeist. I mean, obviously he's a genius, but I would say that's a fairly good reference. And I'd say the Babadook, within its kind of um, aesthetic to a degree, its structure, the way that the horror is structured in a, in the Babadook, is quite similar to Father of Flies. Yeah, I think those would probably be the two.
1: And to a certain extent, the story as well, because you, I mean, with Babadook, you have the you have a malevolent spirit invading this family, this mother and child. So you have that aspect of it, which kind of obviously wasn't what inspired your story, but you can see the correlation between the two of them. uh, Yeah, I think
3: some of the best horrors Touch on that younger generation and the older generation. You start with the younger generation. Children are so susceptible to these kind of things. We assume that they can, their minds are open enough to explore that side of reality. And at the same time, when you bring the adult into it, and the adult's scared, then the viewer's really, really scared.
1: Absolutely. The one, the one trope I dislike with uh, horror films that have children in it is that. I mean, it's it, obviously it's it's pretty standard uh, because it's. True to life, where the child experiences these monsters and these demons, and you as the audience, you can see that that's what they're experiencing. And when they run to the adult to tell the adult, the adult is always dismissive and so on. So that's a recurring trope with those kind of uh, films. I can't wait to watch Father Flies to see if sort of to see how that sort of has that effect. I think on that's them.
3: a good point. And with Father Flies, we avoided that. I, in fact, rather than they run to the adults and the adults explain it away. It is quite clear from the get-go with father flies that are the adults in fact a big part of
1: this yeah yeah and that's clear from the trailer oh, well, as
3: well driven by them see
1: that straight from the trailer that that works that's why i want to see it to make sure that that's exactly what i've got from it you're listening yeah. to shoot breeze on resonance 104.4 fm i'm marcus e akko i'm
0: producer dave and considering what's going on around the world at the moment what challenges did you have to face and overcome to move your project forward
3: um, we, to be honest, we shot it just before the first lockdown. So we had it in the can. So luckily that hadn't been affected by the pandemic. Of course, then finishing it remotely, um, was, was a, was a part issue. The film sat for several different reasons on my shelves on some hard drives and at the edit house for many years. And I did nothing with it. Um, it was only the sad, unfortunate death of Nicholas Tucci, one of the leads in the film, that made me kind of pull my socks up and decide to finish the movie. I knew we had something good. I didn't think it would be as received as well as it has been, um, which is great. Um, And it's just fantastic that it's an honour to to Nick. um, The whole movie is in his memory. Um, So I think that, that the movie had actually more of an emotional challenge because of the... Issues that it faced, every step of that film seemed to be like pulling teeth. Um, you know, we had car crashes in the snow. There was there was all sorts. We had the set exercised by a priest because the night security wouldn't want to look after the kit. Um, everything just seemed like it was a bit, a bit difficult. And then obviously, as I say, the, the dreadful passing of the lead. Um, so it was just a miracle that it got finished, to be honest. I run productions at Goldfinch Entertainment, so of course we made many movies since the pandemic and and I think we were the first drama to shoot in London after the first lockdown we kind of got our got our things together and 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 shot it out the gate of lockdown and that was really hard because you're faced with total uncertainties the BFI and the Film Institute hadn't even had their kind of rules and regulations in cement at that point so we were kind of paving the way and treading carefully and hoping we didn't have any any um, any issues and luckily that movie a bird flew in which is also in paris international that i produced but didn't direct we we got through the whole shoot and luckily didn't have one one case of of, of covid which is brilliant
1: yeah we're going to be talking to Kirsty bell and yourself straight after this interview uh about a bird flew in as well so i'm going to be having a number of questions about uh, shooting around covid uh, one of the questions I want to ask, because from yourself, from your own background, you started off as a photographer, from what I understand, and you moved into filmmaking. Um, you also worked with uh, John or uh, as the cinematographer on this project. Uh, what did you look for when you were composing various shots uh, for this, for Father of Flies? Did you, did you use your own sort of perspective as a photographer, or did you rely uh, more on uh, John's Uh, experience as a cinematographer?
3: That's a good question. The reason why John and I have worked together for many years across many projects, commercials, music videos, features, shorts, we have a very similar aesthetic, but more importantly, we've got a similar understanding. Um, And I met John, he was the camera operator, not cinematographer, but camera operator on the first movie I directed back in 2014, I think. Um, And and we, we just hit it off and John understands my aesthetic and John has a terrific eye and John has a a great technical understanding of how to get the shot so most and also I don't need to come up with a comprehensive shot list for John we talk through the scenes um I always carried a large white board and markers with me on set so every morning or every setup of every scene I would draw the shots out to John in the camera positions like a bird's eye view. And John would very quickly be able to put that together. So the connection was very smooth and that allowed for, you know, what I think Father Flies ended up being quite a, a beautifully aesthetic film. Um, and on the scale, on, on the budget and the time we had to kind of put it together, we're, we're quite happy with that. And a lot of that goes down to John's understanding.
1: And, and that's a very important, obviously, as a director, you'll be able to, you want to be able to, you have the idea. and, and you're directing the writer, Um, so you, when you're writing the script, have an idea of exactly what you want to see, but then conveying that to somebody else that is, that obviously is not in your head to be able to replicate exactly what you have to see uh, without, did you end up using, I know you use the whiteboard, but did you you use storyboards as well to sort of uh, give a little bit more
3: detail to what you had on your whiteboard? We did with the visual effects shots because they're quite, complex in how we had to construct them on principal photography within the camera and how they'd be translated to the visual effects. So that, that certainly needed significant storyboarding. Um, the script has quite a significant level of detail in it as well, which was quite rare for a script. So it allowed us to play the shots out in particular ways. And I think the creatives from John to, um, the production designer and so on really kind of got that off the page as to what we were trying to achieve. So it helped smoothen out. I think with something like Father with Flies, you know, we were in the snow in New York, upstate New York for many months. It was January. It was incredibly cold. It's incredibly hard conditions to shoot in. We, we had to be flexible as well with the kind of shots we could get, certainly with the exterior nighttime shots. Um, so the script... I was rewriting elements of the script as we were going to try to fit what was achievable. So luckily we didn't over storyboard it because then you'd be heartbroken that you (laughs) took the film in a different direction.
0: How easy did you find making the jump from being a photographer to being a director, producer?
3: Um, they're, they're, They're quite similar things. My early photography had a lot of storytelling in it. And I spent a lot of years trying to be a successful commercial photographer and a commercial director. But then I realised there's quite a difference between trying to sell dog food to an audience and trying to tell a story. And they're very different things. So as much as I always wanted to land those big commercial jobs, it was quite clear I wasn't cut for that. I'm, I'm far better at telling stories. Um, so I think that was always in, in me as a photographer. And to be honest, you know, you're using a camera. That is your medium. That is your way of telling a story. So if you have an understanding of the photographic elements, storytelling, and of course it's gonna benefit you as as a director greatly.
1: You were talking about the fact that you moved from being a photographer for commercial stuff. I don't know why, but it just flashed in my head back to, back in the 90s, the uh, music director Hype Williams. Basically, if you've watched any hip hop video, it came out, any r and hip-hop video in the 90s, it was directed by Hype Williams. And he, ma- he tried to make that segue into features as well. And I think he's doing more features these days. Ridley Scott as well. I mean, Scott started off as commercial directors and then moved in, and now they're known as being feature film directors. So,
3: 100%. And there's certainly those terrific skills that you learn. Um, and, and bizarrely, in fact, some of the last commercial work I did was with Ridley Scott Association in London, Black Dog. And, you know, of course, somebody like Ridley is incredibly talented. I'm sure he could put his mind to most things and achieve great things, but it just becomes apparent. Yes, there are some transferable skills between shooting commercials and music videos and telling a story is a features director. Sure, there are transferable skills. That doesn't necessarily mean that every person that comes to paint a front door can paint the Sistine Chapel. You know, of course, that's quite a jump, and I'm not comparing making feature films to painting the Sistine Chapel. But it's, the hey, they're transferable skills there, but they require different things. And, and painting my front door doesn't tell a story, but the Sistine Chapel does.
1: You've already made a comparison, anyway. So it's and it's there, it's recorded, so it's fine. We'll put it out there as it is. You're, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 Four Point Four FM. I'm Marcus E. Echo, and I'm producer Dave. And we have with us the uh, writer, director, producer of Father of Flies, Ben Charles Edwards. Uh, he's been talking to us about that uh, the film. It's in the Paris International Film Festival, which will be screening from the 10th of February to the 20th of February. Uh, and Father of Flies is a horror film, which, as you said, it's, it's a horror film. Although your first, um, your, your debut feature was comedy. Uh, the, um, if I remember correctly, it was Set the Thames on Fire, uh, starring Noel Fielding, Sally Field. Uh, Sadie Frost uh, gathered a number of uh, comedy awards, uh, Biffa, et cetera. Uh, That jump from comedy to horror, is that sort of a permanent jump that you're trying to take? Or are you, as a filmmaker, just trying to explore every type of story that you want to tell, whether it's comedy, whether it's horror, whether it's romance, et cetera?
3: it's a terrific question because they're in fact the exact same thing, comedy and horror. They're all based on a punchline. You've got to build up that tension and you need to know when to deliver that to the audience. If that's the punchline to the joke or here's the big jump scare. They've got they're all about timing. So those two genres are very similar. And I think, you know, some of my favourite horrors have great elements of comedy in there. And, and you want to become a good enough director one day where you can balance the two within a movie and you need the right script to do that. But, you know, they're, they're not entirely different um, at all and of course you know the dream would be to nail a movie where you have all yes clear genre movies sure it's a horror um, and I love horrors but can I make people cry throughout it can I make people laugh about it that would be a, a great achievement.
1: So you don't want to be uh, penciled in or locked into one category or, or one genre like Wes Craven for example being associated constantly with horror uh, you want to be able to you want to be, Again, gonna go with someone really- uh, Well, you know high. what? It,
3: it's an interesting question because I, I, I still have this thing on my mind from years ago. And I think I've made a couple of shorts and commercials and this and that. I've never nailed a horror horror, but I did an article. It was either in the Times or some other magazine and they called me the king of dark arts. And I was like, Why have they, I've not even made a horror yet. So I think there was always an element of my style or my humor or my writing or something which is always lent towards the dark side. Um, and, and it certainly fascinates me far more than anything else in the world. So I imagine I would always lean towards that way, yeah.
1: I guess that's also, that's, I mean, even from Set the Thames on Fire, uh, from the synopsis alone, it tells that it goes into a, it goes into more darker territory, even though it's a comedy, it goes into more tar- darker territory. So I guess that is possibly why there is that- bent <laughs> And that was me trying to be happy as well.
3: I laid it with comedians, I try to be happy, and it still ended up being incredibly dark. <laughs>
1: Hey, it's it, that's the world just telling you basically where you need to go to now. So, um, okay, so this uh, with Father showing in Paris International Film Festival. Uh, what what is next for you as a filmmaker?
3: Um, I uh, as, as you know, I, I recently produced a few movies. Um, Quan, a documentary on on Mary Kwan, the fashion designer that created the mini skirt in the nineteen sixties, London Swing in London, which has done great. Um, it's just premiered at the British Film Institute, the BFI London Film Festival. Um, A Bird Flew In, which I've produced, which has won many awards around the world, which is brilliant, Kirsty Bell directed. Um, So I really enjoy producing. I love producing. I'll still certainly direct, um, but I imagine I would probably produce or have that kind of control over the movies from that aspect a little more. Um, In the summer, I'm going to direct a movie I've I've co-written called the wheels of heaven which is a coming-of-age story about a young girl that meets a boy who claims he's the devil um and her mission is to assassinate a an an american leader um and we're shooting that in bulgaria in the summer so again another another cheery film i Um, i
1: don't i don't know why anybody associates you with the dark arts at all
3: Um, so I'm, I'm with Goldfinch, um, the production company in London. I've developed a, a quite a comprehensive horror slate of movies called the Number Forty Four, um, which is named after um, the name of the devil in um, the Mysterious Stranger. So the slate is called the Number Forty Four. We've got about fifteen incredibly original and very diverse, refreshing and and modern stories of horror that we're gonna start telling this year. Um, one of them is The Wheels of Heaven, the Bulgarian movie. Um, and, and that's gonna be my focus amongst other things, but my focus will be based on producing and directing and continuing to create and write this, this slate of movies. So I guess in answer to your previous question, then I'll probably find myself leaning far more into, into horror.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, and after Paris International Film Festival, where will people be able to see father of lies
3: um it's going on general release on the beginning of the second week of april um so watch this space like I imagine IMDB, being google and so on it's going to be publicized as to where you'll be able to see it if it's which theaters and which streaming platforms um and we've got a few other small or not small but a few other um, or a small festival run left we've still got a few great festivals to come up um, along with Paris, um, which is exciting.
1: Excellent. So we'll be joining you in a few minutes to when we talk to you and Kirsty Bell about A Bird Flew In. Thank you very much for joining us, Ben Charles Edwards, and uh,
3: we'll talk to you in a few minutes. Great, appreciate your time.
1: You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko.
0: And I'm producer Dave.
1: And we've just been speaking with uh, the director, producer uh, of Father of Flies, Ben charles Edwards. So we've already introduced him. So what we're going to do is we're going to pass over to Ben to introduce our next guest, who is the director of uh, A Bird Flew In. So Ben, take it away, please.
3: Oh, well, very good. Thank you. Um, And I would love to introduce you to Kirsty Bell the creator and the director of A Bird fluin in which is also making its French debut at the Paris Film Festival.
1: Kirsty, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. It's, a, it's, a, it's an honour, Marcus.
1: I think the the honour is all ours. Uh, so tell us about A Bird fluin What is the story of A Bird fluin?
2: The story of A Bird fluin in is essentially 12 protagonists who were all working in some capacity on a film set on the night of the UK lockdown on March 23rd, 2020. And what we see is they're more going back to wherever they live or where they come from and shutting the door behind them. So like the, the title, The bird flew in, essentially they're like trapped birds in their own homes and some birds can survive and exit from that home and some birds can't and some birds just stay the same. They just wait to be let out. So our, our, our film explores relationships that people have with themselves, with others, and it is over a very, very small pressure cooker, 10-week environment until the 1st of June, 2020.
1: So obviously the story is influenced by what's happening in the world with COVID uh, and what everybody had had to do at that point, unprecedented for people in our, our generation, our, our, our life, um, to just get locked away and not really interact except through Zoom, which is what we're doing right now. As a director, what were the influences that you drew upon to create the the film that we can now see?
2: Actual reality. So we were actually involved in a film that um, the producer of the film had managed to bring forward the schedule by a week and a half because he he just sensed something was happening. He's quite spooky. He's our executive producer on the project, Philippe Martinez. And basically... um, we all went home on the night of the lockdown. We wrapped literally as lockdown was announced. It was the most bizarre experience. And when I was driving home, I thought, oh my God, I'm going home to an empty house. My husband's stuck in Australia. Like, what am I gonna do? And then I started using Zoom for meetings like all the rest of the world. And I was sort of sitting there, you know, you're listening to conversations, you're doodling, you're writing notes. And I was thinking, I wonder what's going on in their life. I wonder what's happening in there. And then I started creating these characters, which were an amalgamation of things I'd seen or heard of, or, you know, aspects of people I knew or had met. And I sent photographs of this to Philippe. And he said, it's a film. Um, So that's when I got uh, Ben involved in it because Ben and I produced uh, the documentary Quant and I also helped produce the UK side of things for Father Flies for him. So I knew what his creative producing capabilities were, were like and the rest is sort of history. We developed it with the writer Dominic Wells and we started working with Dominic on the 15th of May, 2020. And it seems really bizarre when we think about it, short timeframes, but we started to shoot on the 13th of July, 2020 in London. And we were the, the first drama production to, to film coming out of, of lockdown. And the atmosphere of everybody, the the attitude, the energy of everybody was one of the most amazing, amazing times I think I've ever experienced. It-
1: and, and Ben did mention earlier, and Ben, I'll come to you just uh, for a second. You did mention this was the first drama shot uh, in, in COVID. Ben, as a producer, you produced this, this project compared to something like Father of Flies, obviously, which was shot before the pandemic. As the producer, What were your main challenges that you had to deal with that surprised you producing a a film in COVID?
3: I think when you're producing a movie, it's about solving problems. And it's fundamentally it's about solving problems and also seeing problems before they happen. When you do it out of the gate of lockdown and you're one of the first to do this, we don't have any regulations yet. The insurance isn't even being underwritten. It's a huge risk. So every single morning, you usually wake up and you think, OK, I'm going to, you know, you go through the safety reports, you go around the set, you make sure everybody's safe and fed, along with supporting the director and the creatives. This was an extra cherry on the cake. This was like, and what on earth is going to happen if somebody it becomes contagious? Luckily, as I said in the past interview, we got through the whole thing and moved the production to France to shoot Sir Derek Jacobi's scenes, and we didn't have one case. We were very lucky. But because we didn't have any legislation to go by, any any rules and regulations at that point, other than our own common sense, we really took it incredibly carefully.
2: We, we had a COVID officer... Um, we had a nurse at all times, but not because somebody was telling us to do that. As Ben's saying, it was hinted at. It was there was uh, there was nothing written down. So it was really let's test everybody, let's keep in bubbles, let's let's keep everybody safe. And we did not have one instance of um, illness or anybody having to even remove themselves from the bubble because of because of COVID.
1: That's a good point that you just raised, Kirsty, kind of tying into what Ben said, because there were no regulations set in place. Essentially, your production was the pioneer of what are now rules and regulations that are going on film sets with having COVID nurses and and testing regularly.
2: Yeah, Yeah, really really bizarrely, I found a photograph that I sent to uh, the team when we were trying to work out how we were going to start this. And I'd actually designed a studio space with disinfection units and everything. It is like the worst child's drawing you've ever seen, Marcus. But I have to say our, our nurse was really, uh, Liv was absolutely brilliant and, and and monitored everybody really carefully. And so was our COVID officer, Scott. So, and also we were strict, you know. We, we were, you know, very, very cognizant of the fact that we had people of all ages and all different kinds of, you know, health concerns. And I think one thing
3: to flag as well, Kirsty, which I think we discussed, which was this is a case of working with a whole bunch of crew that are so familiar and used to busy environments, a lot of contact, having that set family for, you know, the months yeah. of shooting. And these people, like everyone around the globe, had been locked away with nothing and no work, not even knowing what kind of industry they're going to come out to after the pandemic, not knowing what's going to happen. So to have an opportunity straight out the gate to shoot a movie in London, they were incredibly willing and excited, but at the same time, everyone understood what we had to lose. People were so careful.
2: Can I just add to that, Marcus? The film is actually about The human condition. The the film is about emotions and relationships with others and, and oneself. It's set against a backdrop of being contained. And it's been filmed in against a backdrop of being contained. And but what is normally said about the film is it's a film about lockdown. Now there's yes, there's some radio reports, there's the dates when the announcements were made, but Actually, when you look at the, the essence of what is being filmed, it's about people and it's about how in that short space of time, which actually seemed like a really long period of time when we were, we, we were in it, it's about how 10 years of life got basically squeezed into 10 weeks. And that is what the actors identified with and what the crew identified with. And I think that's how we got the strength of performance out of the the actors. Um, I remember when we were sitting, Ben, with Sir Derek and Francis Barber, and they were saying, can we bring this to it? Can we bring that to it? Can we do this? Because And the tear that you see falling from Sir Derek's eyes when he sat on the bench with Francis Barber is a real tear, because he's thinking about him and his plight and the fact that he'd isolated in, in France you know, which is his second home for three and a half months, Ben, or four and a half months, a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, you might think people of privilege might be better off than people without privilege. um, But they're not because you're stuck with this, aren't you? You're stuck with this and you're stuck with your heart and your head and your heart sometimes don't match. And we have our actress who you think must live in a mansion, but she lives in a caravan and the only caravan in an industrial park. She's, she thinks she's got fans. She hasn't. Nobody's really interested in her. It's very sad, but there is hope in there as well.
1: <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> it's funny that you touched upon that as well. And that's kind of one of the questions I wanted to ask about, so the reception that you've gotten, because it's a movie set in COVID, obviously, as you just said, it, it, while it's a movie set in COVID, that's just basically what's reflecting the life around the characters that are, are being told in the story. Uh, one thing, one question I did want to ask was, what has been the reception to you and Ben about doing this particular film set in COVID? The reason I ask this question is because I've I've been pitching a number of other projects to different people. And consistent piece of response I've gotten is that nobody wants to see a film that reminds them about COVID they're living through it. Uh, that's it's all it's almost word for word, consistent with everyone I've pitched. Um, so w- what kind of responses did you get with regards to this particular project? And how did you overcome it to just go ahead and make a film?
3: It's it's a really, really good question because when we shot it, when Kirsty created the idea, we assumed that hopefully this is the last that the world was going to see. We are out of lockdown, and that was that. So we had just marked a point in time in human history. However, there's an advantage of doing that, regardless that the pandemic went on and is still going on. When you create something of the moment at the moment, as Kirsty said, the performance is the story, it's so real. And when we've had the screenings and so on, yes, it's a big pill to swallow and it's tough. Um, It's the equivalent of watching a movie on World War II in 1939. It's pretty intense. That doesn't mean to say that it is an incredibly important bookmark in our human story. So to make something and have the privilege and the opportunity to make something about the time of the time, where now we have screenings at festivals and cinemas and people afterwards saying, my goodness, that film, I forgot what it was like back in April. I forgot those news reports. I forgot how I felt when I woke up that day by myself. That's incredibly important to capture. Yeah, it's a tough thing to swallow, but there will be a time when people want to look back and say, wow, look where we came from. Look what we did.
1: I agree. I, I agree with that. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Aco. I'm producer Dave. And we're joined by the director of A, uh, a Bird Flew In, Kirsty Bell, and the producer of A Bird Flew In, uh, Ben Charles Edwards, talking about this particular film. Now, uh, Kirsty, I going to throw it to you. If I'm correct, this is your uh, uh, debut as a film director, you've been producing a, a large number of uh, projects with Goldfinch, which I'll come to in a few minutes. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask as a director, um, your artistic choice to go with black and white for this picture, what in what made you choose that particular method of capturing this film?
2: Um, two things. Uh, one is, um, I'm very old, Marcus, so... Um... <laughs> no. <laughs> I was my my father was an avid film uh, goer and film watcher and uh, from being very young age uh, black and white films were his go-to and I used to watch them with him on the television when they were repeated you know and I was fascinated by watching characters with no colour in as in there's nothing to Distract you from what they're saying and their movement. And one of the most important uh, movements in cinema history, in movie making history, is the Cinema Verite movement. And the British filmmakers tried to copy it uh, with certain films that were made in the, in the late 60s and early 70s. And I just felt that in order to get the true emotion of of the characters and the actors identifying with those characters, we needed to strip it of colour. Initially, I spoke to Ben, not about black and white, but having this very pale pastiche, very drained colours, didn't we, Ben? We talked about like pale greys and pale blues, very very cold colours so the emotion could come out of uh, the characters you know when we were looking at photographs and reference points that's re- really where we were and then it, we thought well if we're going to have a nod to cinema verite because that's a big you know I, I, I won't put myself up there with all of those greats but uh, you know if we pay a nod to that then why don't we go whole hog and shoot in black and white because we could have shot in colour and then took it to black and white, but it wouldn't have looked anything like the same. The cinematography would not have looked the same. You know, the, the light is so beautiful in every single person's home, you know, for their purpose. So so that's why. Love a black and white film, love of cinema verite.
3: From a producer's perspective as well, there was something incredibly practical about shooting black and white with Covid in mind. It helped us speed up our days and shoot quicker because... We weren't color balancing the sets and production design and wardrobe, costumes and makeup didn't have to consider color, um, which is obviously a huge part of visual storytelling. This was about Kirsty's ambition was about the tone, the emotion, the light and the dark. So you strip back a whole set of uh, of issues that you may have to deal with in a color film. So it allowed us to shoot quicker and and therefore free up the schedule to have time for COVID tests to, you know, we were shooting half the amount that you would usually shoot in a day. So we could take it slower, so we could clear the set, get it cleaned, all of that stuff. So, you know, when Kirsty said, I definitely want to do Black and White, I thought, thank goodness for that.
0: As a result of making the film and going through the experience of developing all these characters, have you had or are you going to develop any future films or projects related to any of the characters that you've uh, come up with?
2: It's funny you should ask that, Dave, because we have been um, asked uh, by a few people whether they want to know what's happened to those people in the the future, because obviously we've cut them off at a particular date. You've got no idea whether any of them have ended up together, whether they've survived or, or whatever. So we have been, you know, sort of has been mooted. But no, I I think my my wish is to be to direct again, is to be involved in the human condition again, not necessarily those characters, but to develop other characters in other situations that are very real. um, And we bring a reality to ordinary situations and bring them out to the world because, for me, as Goldfinch, we finance a lot of films that we don't produce and we don't, um, we EP it because we're fin- finances of them. But to be involved in the subject matter, if I were to direct again, I would have to be emotionally invested in those characters and build them up from scratch. And that, to me, was an honour to do. And when I started the journey, I never expected a film to be made. That wasn't the objective at all. I was just passing time. Doing lockdown and sharing it with the EP, and then Ben and I brought it to life. And I think it's rather amazing that the festivals have taken it up. And, you know, Paris's features in um, A Bird Flew in are Julie Dre's character, um, Anna. She lives in Paris. Uh, She goes back from the UK back to Paris. You see a lovely vista, you see a lovely drone shot of, of Paris, you see her home. And uh, that again is a nod to cinema verite, very much so. Um, We changed one of the characters from Russian to Parisian for that purpose. And for us, it's very important for us to be part of this festival and for people to actually watch it and maybe not be comfortable entirely because as you quite rightly say, we're still in the pandemic, but if they're talking about it, isn't that what cinema's about? When you come out the cinema, you want to be, you want to have something to talk about. You want to be saying, I don't want, I don't want people going, oh, that was all right. And that's it. I want them to say, I identified with this character. You know, I thought this was good. I thought it was interesting. They did this or, or whatever, because that's how I got brought up to common, you know, to have commentary on films.
1: That's not, it's, 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 uh, it hits, it sort of hits the point that uh, the, to the question it's, uh, producer David asked and it kind of it it took away one of the questions I was going to ask so thank you very much producer Dave. Uh, you're listening <laughs> to Shoot Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko I'm producer Dave. And we're with the director of A Bird Flew In, Kirsty Bell and the producer of A Bird Flew In, Ben Charles Edwards. Uh, um, Kirsty, you mentioned a few minutes ago uh, Goldfinch which is a company you're, you're CEO and owner of the company Goldfinch. Uh, ben you're a head of production of Goldfinch. For those who don't know what Goldfinch is, there are a lot of filmmakers who listen to this show, independent filmmakers who hear Goldfinch and immediately their, their ears will just prick up and they will wanna listen. But for people who don't know what Goldfinch is, Kirsty Bell, could you tell us what is Goldfinch? Uh,
2: Goldfinch is, uh, is a lot of different things. We do uh, film finance, uh, EP work, executive producer work, We have our production arm, which Ben heads up. And we also have a ventures arm, which is uh, things like first flights where we help first time filmmakers through our short film fund. Um, We have uh, the COOP, which is representation and management for crew members, not not actors at this point, but is for um, everybody else below the line and writers as well. we it was set up, I set it up and launched it. And funnily enough, January 22nd, so it's nearly our eighth anniversary, um, 2014, because I got fed up of people who invested in an in independent film getting a bad name. You know, the independent film was getting a bad name for investment, and I wanted to prove a point. I told my husband it would be for 18 months to two years that I would do this for. <laughs> Um, moved him down to London with the dog, and um, then uh, all hell broke loose, didn't it? Ben? Yeah. <laughs> so it, it it was it just was it hit. you know, we we disrupted a lot of what was going on, and what we're trying to do now through our brilliant slate that Ben's put together is we're trying to disrupt again. Um, we, we, you know, independent filmmaking is very much uh, needs a, a big push again because of the pandemic, because there's not a lot of equity investors out there now. And also because of the cinemas that, you know, and the continuing pandemic. So, you know, we wanting to make product like Father of Flies, like quant like a bird flew in, that we can we can distribute, make for the right kind of money and get out there into the world. And it's hopefully what people want to watch. I,
1: and I, if, I, I, if I don't take this opportunity, I know I'll kick myself. So I'm gonna ask on behalf of a lot of independent filmmakers out there who are struggling, especially in COVID and, and pandemic, but also trying to get their own pictures made, which may be under a certain threshold because a lot of investors, will basically not touch anything that is below 250,000. But a lot of first-time filmmakers, it's that whole catch-22 situation where nobody will invest in you if you haven't made your first film. And uh, you can't make your first film unless you get the investment. So what a lot of first-time filmmakers do is do very low-budget, micro-budget projects, but then no investors will touch that. So what does Goldfinch, how can a filmmaker, such as myself, for example, reach out to Goldfinch and say, "I've got a micro-budget project. I would like to see if you can help me out." What can filmmakers such as myself do? Uh, either Ben or Kirsty, whoever wants to help. This one
2: easy.
3: We've we've got several arms of Goldfinch that can help in this in this um in this way. We have First Flights, as Kirsty mentioned, which does specialize more with shorts, but it is a way that we find some terrific talent. And um, First Flights and ha- it's it's a non-profit um part of the business so really we create a structure where we can help provide funds to short films now they could be anything below 20 minutes but they can be proof of concepts to features as well so that's that's a way that we can get somebody on our radar at least um, and i think that the second way is the the point of this slate that Kirsty and i have been creatively across over the last year putting together is to create a, a slate of films as Kirsty said which are things that people want to watch, things that the audience want, things that the market therefore wants. They're not dependent on closing one or two huge stars so we can then get some pre-sales on MG in order to finance the thing. That's really hard. But... If you've got a terrific idea, if it is commercial, you know, it, it is show business, it's not show art. We do have to try to make some money. That is the point of it. Otherwise, let's get some paintbrushes and paint a picture by ourselves in our bedroom. If you want to do a project and tell a story with 100 people on film sets, they're going to have to earn some money. Um, and for that to happen, the project has to have a commercial ambition to some degree. Um, so I think this slate is of interest to that kind of demographic. so essentially if if there's filmmakers out there with great ideas certainly leaning towards the genre um, the genre uh, market, thrillers, psychological horrors um, then go to the goldfinch website <laughs> and send them in um, so we can review them with you. Um, you know that we're constantly looking for new ideas this whole slate we
2: have, um a submissions group within uh, goldfinch marcus whereby they the team review at various levels depending where the submissions come in but what i can say is every single one that is submitted does get looked at um you know we do try to feedback as much as we can um and we get everything we get everything from you know one page, to whole scripts, to look books, to even shorts that are based off the principle. This is why we we do the Short Film Fund, is almost your proving concept with your short about what you want to do with your feature going forward. And we've we've had three iterations of the film fund. So far. we've just announced our most recent um, winner of the last last uh, film fund, um, which is a project called Legs, which is by a lovely lady um, film director whose name, I'm terrible remembering names, so I do apologise to her if she's listening. Um, and it's, you know, we we try and find those little kernels. You know, we can develop stuff in-house and that's great. And we, you know, Ben and I can get it made, but it's finding those other people to add into our, our collective because we love to collaborate and you know that's me you know you don't just keep everything to yourself you've got to be able to spread your wings sorry about the bird analogy to you know um to actually get more creative input and to to, to you know change it up a bit really
3: um first flights also has a several online seminars which kind of cover these points it's run by a colleague of ours nick he's terrific at educating these on these yeah. subjects, and it covers off how do you get a film off the ground? There are ways, and it is tough. Yeah. Um, I think the general the general idea is to be realistic. When you send in your work to a production company, they're not going to steal it. You don't need to sign an NDA. If 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 it's a good idea, we'll help you make it. Um, and the other thing is, you know, you're you're not going to get rich off your first film. Um, it will be a case of a whole bunch of people believing in you, believing in the idea and putting some of the money on the line and going, let's hope we can make a success of this. Um, and, and with that comes a, re- a reality. You've got to be realistic. Um, but as I say, First Flights um, has, has a huge amount of educational seminars and videos based around this subject.
1: I know, I personally know a n- number of filmmakers who will be rushing straight after this airs, uh, to, your, uh, to your website. I'll be one of them. I'll be at the front of the line. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll be there trying to get my project done. Uh, well, they, because... they
2: need to go to the First Flights one as well, Marcus. It is a link on the main website because we're, we're actually this week doing, um, every evening, doing um, seminars, educational seminars on NFTs. You know? The, yeah. So that's uh, quite cool. The I website, for your,
3: viewers. <laughs> <laughs> the website <laughs> for your viewers is 1st first- dash flights.com um and goldfinch entertainment if you google goldfinch entertainment it, it brings up the the main the main website um but as, as kirsty says we, we've just launched an nft platform which is another way that we're trying to help fund and crowdfund um uh, movies for for first-time directors and people that we believe genuinely need an opportunity. This industry that Kirsty and I love so much is fully dependent on great ideas and great minds um, and it's, it's where the British film um, industry needs to continue to head and if Goldfinch can play a part in trying to get some of those people through the door and, and give them a foot up then it's great for everyone and it's great for our industry.
1: We're going to put those links uh, on the show notes of this episode when it goes out so that people can, uh, can go there. NFTs is a very interesting topic. We've had someone uh, from uh, an NFT group actually come and explain NFTs to us because of a film that was being, uh, that was being uh, utilizing NFTs as a way of publicizing and getting funds in so it's great that we can tie those two in together uh, Kirsty, I want to ask you after Paris International Film Festival, uh, a bird flew in where else? can people see this film?
2: Well, that's the, um, that's the million dollar question. Uh, we're currently talking to distributors because they have listened to other people and said, we don't know whether this is the exact time to release it. Um, they're basically talking about later this year, basically. Um, they, st- they were talking about end of quarter one, so end of March, beginning of April. That could still happen but I think they're concerned that we're still sort of coming out the other side. Well, coming out the other side, as in we've been told we've got to be more normal, whatever normal is. And that's really interesting because the tagline of the film is our lives will never be the same and our lives will never be the same. And it's almost like we predicted what has happened and we're sort of caught in that, that sort of situation. But it will be distributed. It will be distributed later this year, um, we hope. Um, the point that Ben made earlier is it's actually timeless. It's, it's set in a time, but it's timeless. So we don't have a, a hurry on to get it out there. Um, I'd rather get it out there when the distributors and the PR people think it's the, the right time. And that's what we're in discussions about. It's going to be at other festivals as well. Um, so. Um, as is Father of Flies so you know and um, Father of Flies is being distributed from the 12th of April mm. so um, it's all very you know very positive and uh, we hope everybody gets to see it.
1: Absolutely mm. and w- w- the moment you get a release date and then when uh, Father of Flies is coming out please come back onto the show so we can publicize it as best as we can and when you have if you want to get some of your flight flights, uh, filmmakers to come on the show to talk about their project as well. We'd be happy to have them on
3: board.
2: Actually, Nick would love that. Nick and Philip would love that, wouldn't they, Ben?
3: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that would be a, a, a great benefit to the filmmakers out there. That's a great idea. We'll put this but, uh, way,
2: Marcus. Uh, ben and I can't talk about NFTs. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> in fact, Kirsty and I sat the seminar last night that Nick and Phil hosted to hundreds and hundreds of people around the UK, (laughs) Kirsty and I were on it at 8pm last night, trying to follow it and understand, (laughs) um, texting each other in the background saying, are you keeping up?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Chatting in the back of the class and it's it's actually listening to what the the lecturer is saying. Absolutely. So thank you very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze. And we will speak to you very soon. Thank you guys and and there you have it some of the filmmakers whose films are going to be running in the paris international film festival which is going from the 10th to the 20th of february 2022 Uh, hosted and uh, directed by the film festival is directed by our good friend jenna suru give her all the love go check out the film festival check out all the wonderful films that are going to be there and see all the emerging filmmakers who will most likely become household names in the next few years. Uh, I want to say thank you all very much for having sat down and listened to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I want to thank Resonance FM for giving us the opportunity to keep on doing this show over and over again. You have been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Marcus E. Ako. I'm still producer Dave. Dan, thank you very much for listening.
0: Speak to you all next time.
1: Goodbye.
2: Bye.